Anyone travel for Christmas or Thanksgiving? How was it? So when I was seven years old, my mom, who is from Webster Groves, Missouri, decided we were going to go from Grant's Pass out to Webster Groves, Missouri to visit grandma for the summer. And so she piled six of us into this old car with no air conditioning and pleather interior. Remember that? Yeah. So the sweat has nowhere to go. It just soaks like the back of your leg and the small of your back and your shoulders and anything that touches it, right? So as a seven-year-old in 1979, what do you do when you travel? Stare out the window, play I spy, fight with your siblings, right? That's good. That's a couple hours right there. Then stare out the window some more, right? That's what you did. And then after a while, you'd have to say to your mom, to your dad, yes, right? I'm bored. How much longer? When are we going to be there? Okay. So fast forward from 1979 to 2019. How do kids travel now? It's unbelievable, right? They'll watch like 12 movies in a row. Just movie after movie after movie. Play video games on their phone. They can download new video games as they're driving. Like, I got a new video game. It's unbelievable. They can text people. They can talk to people. They can Snapchat people. They can TikTok people. They can Instagram people. Any one of those things I would have killed for as a child. Like, just give me one. Right? And yet my kids have the audacity (laughs) to say to me, I am bored. I'm just like, what? You're bored? You know what happens in my mind in that moment? I become my mom. The one thing I promised I would not become, right? Do you have any idea of what it was like when I traveled? I stared out the window for seven days straight. We did not stop at motels. We would park on the side of the road and sleep there, praying we weren't killed during the night. Okay? Give me that phone I'm throwing out the window. (laughs) I say that because technology has changed us, has it not? Like, it's amazing if you just think about how our brains are accustomed to this new speed. So have you ever been downloading something and had it take too long and start just tapping your phone? Come on, what is wrong with you? Like, oh, you're holding a supercomputer in your hand, right? It could send a spaceship to Mars and we're like, come on, you piece of junk. You have any idea what you're holding in your hand right now? I'll just give you a small comparison. So I went to Oregon State University. In 1991, I had this roommate named John Maxell. He's a, he was an electrical engineer. He figured out how to use OSU's connection to get these free video games from France. Yes, he was brilliant. 
but it was dial up and it took between four and eight hours to download the video game. And if at any point during that four to eight hour period, you picked up the phone, it ruined the download. He had to start all over. You just hear him, hear him scream from his room. Like, ah, sorry, dude. I'm so sorry. Now eight seconds. We're like, ah, like it's crazy what's happened to us. How just the speed of things has made our tolerance of anything that's longer than like a tenth of a second, it just disappeared. Like we want now life to be like a microwave. We expect everything to be microwave speed. So I'm gonna test you on some things to see if it's happened to you. So number one, here's your test. Have you ever yelled at your phone? Right? I have this saying, buffering is suffering, right? Then that little circle, you're just like, ah! It's modern day, that's as bad as it gets for us. Okay, number two, have you ever yelled at the car in front of you for driving too slow? Listen, for the majority of human history, to be able to go 35 miles per hour, they'd be like, 30, that is so fast, are you kidding? Well, I've been walking everywhere, two miles per hour. You go how fast? And yet, what happens to us today? 35, like, you moron, man. It is 40 in here. What is wrong with you, right? Yeah, okay. Have you ever jumped in on a conversation when you think somebody is taking too long to explain something? Like, get you your point, dude. I don't care about your cat and what day it was. Just give me your point. (laughs) have you ever got mad at elevator doors right they're not closing fast enough for most of human history guess what people had to do they had to climb we get in this thing that like takes us up like floor after floor we just stand there we're like those doors ah I mean for a moment just like think about how insane we are we're insane now and I'm the worst offender So I outline my messages nine days in advance. And we're going to talk about patience today because that's what James is talking about. So I know exactly what I'm outlined, what I'm going to be teaching on. Nine days ago, that's on Friday. On Saturday, I go with my wife. We go out Christmas shopping. Um, Talk about an exercise in patience, like no parking, big line, just everything. So finally, we're able to leave Dreadford and come back to Grants Pass. I'm like, ah. And we decide, hey, let's go out. We don't have the kids with us. Let's have a nice, good meal. Let's eat something. Let's, let's sit down and have a good meal. So we go to this restaurant and the sign there, it's a nice restaurant. It says, you know, seat yourself. Okay. So Charity and I, we take a seat. We wait for 10 minutes. Nothing. No water, no waiter, nothing. I'm like, man, that's strange. And so Charity goes to the bathroom to wash her hands. She comes back. We wait for another five minutes. Nothing. So I just said, that's it, let's go. We went to In-N-Out Burger. Because it's In-N-Out, not In-N-Wait. I'm like, that's what I want. I am not waiting any more time, okay? So when I take this test for myself, it's just fail, 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 fail. So James speaks to me. Let's listen to what he has to say. Chapter seven, or chapter five, verse seven. Be patient. I'm like, oh, 
Does anyone here love to wait? Anyone just, tomorrow morning, you're going to the DMV, you're just gonna get a ticket and sit there. I wanna see how long it takes for this to happen, man. I love waiting, right? Nobody does. We are born impatient. So that's why this is a command. It's imperative in the Greek. Be patient because it's not normal, right? So what's his insight on this? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Be patient. James has a ton condensed insight in here. I'll tease out a couple things like why you and I, even though it's unnatural, should want to be patient. Number one, number one, because you'll be sweeter. You'll be sweeter. If you notice verse seven, when he talks about patience, he says this, see the farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth. What has technology not been able to speed up? Farming, right? Your apple tree in your front yard could care less about your internet or 5G connectivity. It blossoms in the spring and it gives you ripe fruit in the fall. And you are not gonna speed that thing up. It takes all the time it wants to do that. You cannot speed it up. In Israel, they had this crazy environment, I guess. They'd get a lot of rain in the spring, super dry, but then they would have this late, late rain, like in August, in September. And in order for a farmer to really get his good, productive, bountiful harvest, they had to be patient. Because if they harvested just a little bit too early, they'd miss that late rain, which really gave them the sweet fruit, the good stuff. James says, hey, be patient because it'll make you, make you sweeter. What happens when you try to speed up farming? You get store-bought tomatoes. Anyone like store-bought tomatoes? No, those are sped up, right? And they're disgusting. I am a tomato connoisseur. I'll, I'll go down with a salt shaker into our greenhouse and just eat tomatoes. I love them. I cannot eat a store-bought tomato because they tried to speed it up and they lost it. It's gross. James would say, slow down, 
be patient. Life will be so much sweeter for you. The classic study on this is called the marshmallow test. You guys know that one? They took kindergartners. I mean, it's almost cruel. They took kindergartners, five-year-olds, they put them in a room, they put a marshmallow on a plate and they said, if you'll wait for 15 minutes before eating that marshmallow, we'll give you two. And like, just, just watch videos. It's the cutest thing in the world, right? They had to try to distract themselves. A couple kids just went, hump. Nah, I ain't playing that game. I'm eating that thing. I care less about your game, man. I'm eating that now. Well, they've done more of the studies on this. And what they found was it's not the innate ability for that child to delay their gratification. It's actually a trained thing, which makes a lot of sense. Kids aren't naturally going to be patient. But the ones who could wait, they went back and visited them 10 years later when they were 15. They found they were more successful in school, more confident in the way that they carried themselves, smarter and less likely to be abusing substances. Because patience works. You let life ripen. You slow down. It's huge. What happens when we don't do that? Life gets sour, doesn't it? A lot of people get into debt problems because of impatience, right? I want it now, so I'm going to put it on my credit card. Maybe some of you are feeling that right now with Christmas, right? And then what happens? Oh, it becomes this load and this debt that makes life a lot harder. We've got society problems because of impatience. There's diseases that your body gets from impatience. There's people that have a lot of sexual problems because they could not wait. And those things continue to visit them and they struggle with them. We deal with a lot of that here. Life sours when you're not patient. So James is super brilliant. There are people that are like, man, I just gotta get married right now. It's the spring rains. I can't wait for the fall rains. I gotta do it now. I talk with them sometimes and they're asking me, should I do this? And this is the advice I give people. I say, guess what? There is something worse than being single. And I talk to them all the time in this room when they're married to the wrong person. Wait for the late rains. Take your time. Don't just settle. Don't just say, oh, I gotta go. Take time. Life gets so much sweeter when we're patient. So I'm gonna give you a couple of little disciplines that I try to use in my own life because I'm the worst offender of this that help me practice slowing down. So number one is this. For one week, just try this and see how it makes you feel. For one week, don't pass a car when you're driving. So no, whatever lane you start in, you stay in that lane till you get to your destination. Matt, that is impossible. I can't do that. <laughs> you know how I do it? I drive a Volkswagen bus. <laughs> Super easy then. Now really think about it. Like, have you ever done this? I was talking to somebody after service. Like you're driving Interstate 5, wherever, and you pass a truck and then you, whatever, make a stop or something and you, you're just driving like crazy as fast as you can, whatever it is, whatever your limit is, you're right there. And then you pull back out of a rest area and you drive for another five minutes and you pass that same truck again. What did you accomplish with all that stress? Not much. Is it actually worth it at the end of the day for what's happening internally to you? All that stress to save 10 minutes. Try it, okay? Number two, try this. Um, Try to, if you can, I don't know where you live, but try to walk to work. 
So if you're out in Glendale, okay, you can't do it. I mean, maybe you could, but I wouldn't recommend it. But then walk to lunch. Just do something that for a moment, you're just walking because here's what it does. It reminds you, wow, when I drive a car, 55 is super fast. 35 is super fast. It also gives you a moment to pray and to talk and to listen. You slow down. And then thirdly and lastly, for every appointment you have or every work, whatever it is, picking up your kids, leave five minutes earlier. Just, and just see how you feel when you get where you're going. I mean, was it really worth it to push that limit to where it's just, you could barely make it somewhere, you're barely arriving on time. Is it actually worth it? Is all the stress of it. Here's what I found. When I'm doing those things, my life has a lot of peace to it. My life has a lot of like, ah, oh, there's margins instead of just cramming everything in. All right, so number one, he says life gets sweeter. And then he warns us about something. He says this, next verse, establish your heart. Here's what he's saying by that. Patience, patience is a me problem. Patience is a reflection of my heart. It's telling me something about this thing in right here. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna blame my impatience on somebody else. Have you noticed that? So I'm driving and it's the moron in front of me that's the problem, right? Oh, if that guy would just speed up, everything would be fine. I go to a business, nobody waits on me. What is wrong with this place that has terrible business? These guys are idiots, right? So I wanna make my impatience somebody else's problem, but it's not, it's my problem. So James is saying, look inside. You got heart trouble and impatience. You know what it is actually? It's a byproduct of my selfishness. I'm putting myself first. So when I am racing down 6th Street on the right-hand side and I swerve over right at the last minute at 7-Eleven, you guys do it too, I've seen you. Guess what happens in that moment? All the cars that I raced in front of now have to slow down and there's somebody or some buddies that aren't gonna make that light that I just made. What am I saying? I'm way more important than all you guys. That's what I'm saying. When I cut in line, I'm making everybody wait behind me. My impatience is actually a byproduct of wanting the universe to circle around me. And I'll tell you, there's no more recipe for misery than thinking you are the center of the universe and everything is here to serve you. You will be miserable. So patience, patience cuts that fuse. And here's what they found, sociologists have found, that when men are impatient, we get angry. When women are impatient, they get depressed. Neither of those is good. So establish your heart. God, this is a me problem. This isn't that person driving. This isn't the elevator doors. This isn't my cell phone. This is a me problem. Okay, okay. And if we don't nip it in the bud, here's what happens next. It says, do not, verse nine, grumble against one another. Our mouths begin to betray us. And then verse 12 says this, you start making oaths, right? When you get impatience, it's all, I swear I'll do this. I promise, we start to overpromise. Your mouth will betray you. Whatever the heart stews on, the mouth spews out. It's dangerous. The best example of this in the Bible 
is Moses. Was Moses a good leader? He's a tremendous leader. 10 plagues, goes in with authority, pulls out the children of Israel, crosses the Red Sea, leads them out. But then what happens in the wilderness? They start to grumble because the children of Israel are a lot like us, where it doesn't matter what you did for me, what are you doing for me now? That's all I care about. So they start to just grumble against Moses. Who put this guy in charge? Man, is he lost or something? It seems like we've been going in circles for years here. I'm tired of this food, man. Bread every morning, I got a gluten intolerance. I can't take this anymore, right? They start to just murmur and grumble and complain and ugh. And you read that story and it's miserable. No one's saying, hey, give me 40 years of that life. No way. Your mouth will betray you. And we gotta be careful, right? When, when, when we read the Bible, there are two ways you can learn. Bad examples or good examples. Moses, man, and the children of Israel, miserable. But guess what? The Bible is full of really good examples. So the next thing that James says is, get some really good examples. The prophets and Job. Start reading about the prophets. Start reading about Job. Start reading these stories of what happens when people are patient. And the prophets are amazing. The first prophet was born of Hannah who had to wait for years to have a child, but he was a child of promise. His name was Samuel. Read about Abraham, waited a hundred years to have a child. Read about Moses, 40 years waiting to become the leader God had for him. Joseph, 20 years in slavery and in prison before he becomes prime minister of the Bible. What you see in the Bible is this. Almost everybody had to wait. Every one of us will spend time in God's waiting room. Well, Matt, why is that? Why does God make us wait? Why can't he just do it now? I have this quote and I cut this out from a book a long time ago, I think 1996. And I've always loved it. It's by Warren Wearsby. He's one of my heroes. He says this about waiting. He says, quote, if God puts something in my hand without first doing something in my heart, my character will lag behind my achievements. And that's the surest way to ruin. God knows where my heart is at. You know, it's mad if I give you this too quickly, it will ruin you. You couldn't handle it. It'll destroy you. So I've got to work on your heart to give it the capacity to handle what I want to give you. When God wants to make a squash, he takes six months. When he wants to make a redwood tree, he takes 60 years. What do you want to be? Right? Wait. Be patient. And the biggest example he gives, I think, is of Job. If you're an impatient person, can I recommend reading the book of Job? It's pretty long. It'll, it'll slow you down. Read. Here's what Job is. Job in his day was the CEO of Apple, the CEO of Alphabet, the CEO of Google, whatever it is. He is the high-powered man. He's going for it. He's busy. He's got 
spank. He's, he is a big time dude. But the Bible tells us this in chapter one. Every morning, Job would take time and he would make a sacrifice for each one of his 10 children. Now, I'm not a butcher, but I guarantee you, sacrificing and butchering an animal takes time. He did 10 of them every single morning. I know I got business. I know there's all these pressures. I know I'm important. I know all this, but you know what? I'm gonna slow my day down because my kids are so important. That's how he began his day. And then here's what happens to Job if you know his story. His money disappears. His reputation goes down the drain. His health is gone. And to make matters worse, all 10 of his children are killed in one day. Think about that for a second. You come to a memorial service here and up in front are 10 coffins from big to little sitting right up here. How devastating is that? That's insane to me. And then his friends come over and his friends are morons. I mean, they are morons. He calls them miserable comforters because this is what they do. They use theology to say to Job, you deserve what's happening to you right now. People can misuse theology. Do you know that? They can misuse theology. It happened to Job. You deserve what's happening to you. While he's sitting on a pile of ashes, scraping the boils on his arms, they're telling him you deserve it. That's insane to me. And then his wife, who's still alive, says to him in the midst of that, in the mess that he is, she looks at her husband and says, curse God and die. He's like, thanks, baby. I needed that. That's helpful. You are an encourager, woman. (laughs) You know what he actually says? Naked I came from the womb and naked I will return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. That's incredible to me. It's unbelievable. What Job is saying is this. I'm not the center of the universe. This thing's not supposed to revolve around me. No way. You know what spiritual warfare is? It's the book of Job. Because Satan had said this to God. He said, skin for skin, a man will give anything for his skin. And when Job didn't, it confounded the enemy. He's like, oh my goodness, it didn't work. He didn't curse God and die. Oh my goodness, it did not work. You wanna do real spiritual warfare? You do it like Job. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of delay, in the midst of God, what, is, what are you doing? You say, God, naked I came from the womb, naked I returned, and I'm still blessing your name. That's the most powerful witness a person can ever have. It confounds the enemy. It's how you crush the serpent under your foot. He's got nothing left on you. If delay and disappointment will not drive you from God, but instead drive you to God, where you know he is the source of all that is light and life, the enemy has no holds on you anymore. He's got nothing. That's spiritual warfare. And that's what Job did. And Satan was confounded by that. We're supposed to soak in these examples. And we'll either end up like the grumbling children of Israel wandering in misery, or we will end up like Job who became refined gold. It's our choice. 
Patience is the catalyst to one of those. So I got one more point because sprinkled through this whole thing is this. Verse eight, be patient for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Verse nine, the judge is standing at the door. Verse 11, you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Here's the purpose of patience. The point of patience is this, trust. It's trust. Do you trust God? Do you believe that God is in control of this world? Do you believe that God has a purpose to what's happening in our world or your world personally? Do you believe he is good? You know who doesn't have to wait? The rich and the powerful, right? The rich and the powerful have a special line at the airport so that they don't have to wait, right? They go right in while you and I wait for hours. The rich and powerful can pay more money, especially on the East Coast, to take special toll roads where there's no traffic because they got money. The rich can expedite everything, right? Just pay for it to happen faster. Pay for the remodel faster. Pay for the package faster. It's, it's the wealthy, the powerful. They don't have to wait. So what patience is for you and me is this. It's God's in control. And I trust him. And I'm gonna lean into his purposes. So I have two sayings that I use all the time on patience. The first one is this, haste always leads to waste. Just a warning for me. And then number two, if God says wait, it's going to be great. If God says to you, wait, it's going to be great. Just look at all the women who were told to wait for a child and how the child of promise became something great because they waited over and over and over again. Like my example is this building we're in right now. You know how hard I tried not to have this building? How do I, I tried to rush God for 13 and a half years. All right, New Hope School. I met with them in like 2006. Within a year of Edgewater said, hey, here's the deal. We will rebuild your gym. We'll make it nice. And we'll just meet here from now on. They were afraid of us. They said, but you'll change us. I said, Yeah. And they said, no, thanks. Okay, no problem. We made the same deal with RCC. We said, hey, we'll invest in you guys. We'll use your gym and then we'll use the Rogue Bowl in the summers. It'll be awesome. They said, no, separation of church and state. Okay, no problem. Then I tried Price Chopper. Remember Price Chopper? If you're old Grant's past, you know Price Chopper, right? It's Planet Fitness now. You know how glad I am we're not in Planet Fitness? Oh my goodness, right? And I was gung-ho, let's do this. Then River Valley Community Church came up for sale. We had an offer in, we had papers made. We were this close. It was announced everything. And there was this crazy parking deal that was gonna cost three quarters of a million dollars to get out of. And it scuttled the deal. What's so funny about that one was this. When I announced, hey, we're gonna buy River Valley Community Church, people applauded. And then when I announced, we're not gonna buy River Valley Community Church, people applauded. I'm like, are we manic? Which one did we want? (laughs) Half and half probably. Right, then Calvary Church, we tried Calvary Church. Then we bought some stuff out, of, some property out on G Street. It didn't work. And then when I walked in this room for the first time and I saw these windows open, I said, thank you, Lord, that we waited. Thank you, Lord. 
If God says wait, it's gonna be great. Do we trust that he's the good, generous father that he says he is? Because that's what patience means. I'm waiting for you. And here's what I know, and I'm done. I know that some of you drug yourself in here today. Or maybe your kids drug you in here today. Because for you, the holidays are actually hard. That this week has been as rough as a week gets. So my wife and I, we do foster care. And Thursday morning, our phone started ringing off the bell. Normally we've had foster kids through the holidays. We've just had them in our home for the last five, six years. This year we didn't. The phone just started ringing. And we ended up taking two kids on Thursday night. And when they were dropped off, I asked the two gals, I said, what's the deal, man? I've never seen this. Like our phone's just been ringing, 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 ringing. And what she said was this, every holiday season is like this. Because what happens at the holidays is this. These old wounds are reopened when a family member comes over that hurt you deeply. Where the anxiety and the stress of having these people with you all the old conversations, all the disappointments, all the harsh words, they're all relived for so many people in that moment. And the holidays are not happy for them. The holidays are a time of real hardship and then it's just explosion. And then we're getting calls left and right. She goes, it happens every single year at this time. And it broke my heart. If that's you, hang in there. Hang in there. You will not regret it. Jesus, the Lord, is at hand. Hang in there. There's purpose to what you're going through. There's a plan that has a beautiful, brilliant end for you. That's the promise of scripture. That we know all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. You've got to know that. Hang in there. We're in this thing together. Listen, no one gets out of this world unhurt. From Genesis 3 on, every human carries the scars of the brokenness of this world. And our hope is this. Our hope is in that table right there. There's a real king who came 2,000 years ago and he put the death nail into all the diseases and all the hurt. He's the judge that stands at the door that's gonna make everything right. That's our hope. And so we come to the table and we say, help us to hang in there. Jesus, give us patience. Jesus, show me a glimpse of your purposes. Give me the ability to walk through this well. And what happens is this. You know the byproduct of patience? It's mercy and compassion. That's what the byproduct of patience is. I get mercy, right, when I'm patient because I remember, man, I've driven like a moron too. In fact, I always drive like a moron. Why am I complaining about this guy? I'm the worst driver in Grant's Pass. Be quiet, Matt. I get merciful. I have compassion on people. And I've been through that too. That's what happens to us. 
So we come to the table and we say, Jesus, help us to hang on. Help us to make it through. Help us to have patience. Remind us that you're the king and there's a coming kingdom and it's gonna be better than we can imagine. And your coming is one day closer today than it was yesterday. So we hang on. So we're gonna take communion together. What that means is this. If you're on this side, you head that direction, you grab it, you come back around. I'm gonna pray first. If you're on this side, you head that direction, come back around. And then you hold it and we take it together because it's one loaf. Jesus broke the one loaf. We're taking it saying, hey, we're in this thing together. We're in this thing together. So Jesus, today, more and more, we are realizing that we need you. That there was a snake that wrapped around the human heart in Genesis 3. And its fangs have been injecting this selfish, impatient craziness into our lives. And we need to eat and drink of a heavenly antidote to that. that the brokennesses of, of others, they're like crashing waves, tsunamis that disturb and hurt us. And we need to re, be rebuilt. And so we come to you this morning, some of us just clinging on desperately. I pray that you would be their hope today. You would be the anchor of our soul as Hebrew promises, keeping us in the midst of stormy waters, telling us hope is on the way. Be patient. You have a purpose. You have mercy and compassion for us. That's what we need this morning. So meet us at the table, we pray. We ask this in your name. Amen.